Sports is one of your skills that you learn growing up. Then you then you learn a lot of important things to manage stress. From Lake Lake, it's how I got here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Koski, and on today's show, we have the founder of a local Minneapolis company, Stabonics, which grows microorganisms for safer drug discovery and development. Did you know that adverse reactions to drugs cause hospitalization of 1.5 million Americans each year? Not only that, medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Peng Ya, a cancer survivor and mechanical engineer, had to deal with the effects of a lot of medication when he was going through chemotherapy. As he was going through chemotherapies, the doctors realized that it wasn't working. They had to try something new. They were going to give him the maximum dosage of the drugs. As he was sitting in the hospital waiting for the infusion, the doctor said to him, the last time we gave this therapy to someone, the response was so bad, I thought he was going to die. The doctors weren't sure if the treatment was going to cure him or kill him. So how does Ping Ya, a mechanical engineer, go from playing youth sports to founding a company that can change the face of medicine? This is how we got here. Well, sports was a big part of my life. I, I grew up as a, as a kid in... Uh, 30 minutes south of San Francisco. So um, being kind of a first-generation uh, born here in my family, my, my, my parents want to give me every opportunity. So I'm not, I'm just, I'm playing the sports, I'm doing the, whatever they could throw at me, they threw at me, playing piano and, and French horn and, I mean, all of that stuff. So it was, it was, it was um, definitely um, a packed schedule. But definitely sports was a big part of my life. So I played youth soccer, basketball, tennis, and what, the seminal moment for me in 1989, when I, that, I was probably 14 year old, years old at the time, was when Michael Chang won the French Open. So watching a five foot seven, maybe, inch professional athlete beat the world's best, because in that tournament he beat Yvonne Lendl, he beat Stefan Edberg in the finals. Um, and he's doing that underhand serve that people have seen. I mean, I must have tried that, you know, 1,500 times um, to be like him. So he was my, if you will, kind of role model hero that a five foot seven, um, five foot eight um, Asian American can, can uh, be at the top of a, a sport. So when I had to decide soccer or tennis, it was clear that it was going to be tennis. So then I started focusing on that in, in high school. And our team was, was quite good, um, racked up maybe over 100 wins in my high school career. And um, at that point decided, okay, can I do this in college? And um, because my father was a mechanical engineer, PhD, I became <laughs> a mechanical engineer, PhD. Uh, but, to, 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 but I wanted to play, choose this university that I could not only do the engineering and uh, other interests of mine, but also play a competitive sport. And, and tennis, I was able to play at the University of California, San Diego. So with, with your father's like academic pedigree and background, how did he view sports in this whole, kind of as you roll into university? You know, I think t sports 
you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't internet didn't exist, you know, not how it is now. Right. So to keep kids busy, you know, it was, I, I lived in what people, you know, people call Silicon Valley back then. It was safe enough for me to bike a few miles to the public parks and play pickup games against old retired guys at, at the public park. Right. And that's where I built my game. So I built my, my tennis game, not in necessarily in the early years, not necessarily against this really structured um, um, tennis tournaments and, and you know, all of that. It was, I'm gonna see a, you know, see a dad for three hours, I'm gonna bike to the park, uh, I'm gonna play against these old retired guys. And they, they didn't beat you with power, they, built you, they, built, they, beat, they beat me in the early days with a lot of cunning <laughs> and, um, and uh, strategy. And I think that actually shaped my game. So when, when I then got faster, stronger, that kind of uh, intellectual or strategic part of my game was actually really developed. And that helped me win a lot more actually in the college ranks because I could win different ways. So I could think through, okay, what is my strategy against this person? And then execute those. You're playing college tennis. When do you start to decide that you're going to go down the PhD route, uh, and why did you decide to go down that route? What I well, what I did was I focused actually in an area of mechanical engineering called uh, nanotribology. It's kind of a subset of nanotechnology. Uh, a lot of big words, a lot of syllables, but basically, it's it's looking at the interface of surfaces, and it turns out that that area of study is one of the core technologies of computer hard drives. And we all know computer hard drives as the devices that stores all our data in data centers and, and, and computers. So when you think of hard drives, usually people know of hard drives as, oh, this thing has 10 terabytes of storage capability. Usually hard drives are behind that. And, um, and so that's what I worked on for the first part of my career and then from there, I used that background to get into solid-state technology, which, which is kind of the next-generation version of high-performance storage for the computing industry. Okay, well, let's let's go to Stemonix. Stemonix, Stemonix. It's in Canadian. It's Stemonix. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Stemonix. We have some Canadians here, by the way. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay, do. perfect. From I'm Montreal. Not, okay, so I, I got to pull up my French on on them. Um, so Stemonix. Yes. So let's talk about your journey because that's a that's a big journey as you go from where you were to deciding to open up. Well, not to starting to start a, a company around this technology and talk about what led you to this decision. Well, that's a that's a that's a story that some people have heard, but I'll, I'll share first what we do. So at Stemonics, we make human microorganisms from skin to find drugs that are safer and more effective for patients and and therapeutics for diseases. So that's a mouthful, but and it's also it sounds a lot like science fiction. So it sounds like Star Trek. You're making what? Yeah, microorganisms. What do you mean microorganisms? Microbrains. What do you mean? So. How did, how did I co-found a company, Stemonics, that makes little human brains and little human hearts and other organs? Well, about seven years ago, when I was going through all that nanotechnology gobbledygook that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I uh, was diagnosed with 
Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of blood cancer. And I wasn't feeling well uh, that summer, and um, a lot of doctors didn't really know what was going on. And um, finally, <coughs> I was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, out of the blue and had to go uh, fight it. And the first rounds of chemo, the traditional chemo for Hodgkin's is a four-drug cocktail called APVD. And um, after eight rounds of it, it didn't work. So the, uh, the tumor that was in my uh, upper left chest, if you will, was, um, did not shrink. And I was getting a lot of the toxicity from those drugs uh, and not the um, efficacy. So it wasn't working. And luckily, my doctor and radiologist had seen a patient years ago that was similarly resistant. So they knew they had to change something in my regimen. So they switched me to this German style chemo. And that's when I started learning a lot about medicine from a patient's perspective. And it turns out that German oncologists take US standards and increase the potency of the drugs for the German population. The Japanese oncologists actually decrease US standards. So that, that was fascinating to me that different populations uh, needed to be treated differently. Anyway, so then I switched to the German style chemo, which was more potent, and that wiped me out. So the low point going through that was I could, I didn't have the energy to lift my arm to feed myself. So that was the, that was one of the low points. Interestingly, bringing this back to sports, that wasn't, that wasn't actually going through chemo, that soreness, the getting beaten down, the out of breath, like that actually was very common for me as an athlete. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm used to this, you know, this, that, you know, just going out, going hard on something to the point where you're all about to pass out. Like, I was okay with that. <laughs> that I could handle. I was, that, was, that, that was not that bad, because I had experienced that before as an athlete. Um, and, but that was, that, was, that was the low point, and, you know, physically. And I was lucky to survive the cancer and the treatment, because the treatment was very toxic. And uh, they had to do an echocardiogram of my heart afterwards to see if the valves, you know, were all functioning correctly. And at that point, it was, okay, I've survived cancer and the treatment. Now what? I go back to a successful corporate career in the IT storage industry, or I could see if my nanotechnology background, which was successful at bringing new technologies to market, if it could make a difference in the life sciences industry. Having gone through this cancer experience, I wanted to see if, if I could do something, you know, for this general space. And once I made that decision to investigate, hey, how can I improve the lives of others and the experiences of, you know, taking these drugs, then that's when I, you know, in a sense, found my new next passion in life. And, and, and that's what birthed Stemonics, which was, can we find a better way to discover new drugs? Can we find drugs that are safer? And can we, can we find drugs that are more effective?
because today, if you look at the top 10 grossing drugs in the US, they're only effective 4 to 25%. If you look at safety, the fourth leading cause of death in the United States, if you look at the FDA's website, is adverse drug reactions. So these are FDA-approved drugs that kill over 100,000 Americans every year, and we're, and that's just the status quo. So how can we change that paradigm of doing things? And that's what Stemonics is doing. And, um, and so I, I reached out to my co-founder, who was very successful, founded many companies. He's a, a tremendous inventor. And from one of his first patents, we built this company on the idea that maybe we can test drugs on a model of someone as opposed to the actual person. And around that time, in, in 2012, the Nobel Prize winner discovered a way to take skin or any uh, cell with a nucleus and convert it into a stem cell, which we call an induced pluripotent stem cell. And that stem cell is immortal. It can grow into more cells, but those cells can then become any cell in the human body. So then we said, wow, if you can do that, and if you can scale this up, and you can make lots of, we didn't know at the time what organ we were gonna make, but if you could scale it, if you could take his experience in chemistry and my background in material science, and, and if we can combine our powers, if you will, to uh, stem cell biologists, maybe we can crack the code of how to make these at scale um, and make them for an industry that is dying for a better solution. You reach out to your to your co-founder, and you have this. You guys come up with this idea. What is next step? Because you, it's not. This isn't cheap. You just don't. You know. <laughs> you know. So what is next? Obviously, you start up. Like, what was your next step? You you did some of this work in your basement. <laughs> well, you do a lot of thinking in the basement. My okay. basement is not a lab, but <laughs> okay. yes, yes, I was in the basement, and and um, it was a crazy time because my my sister-in-law and. And their, and their newborn and their dog moved in because they moved here from Chicago. It was a crazy time. And, but. Hang here, this was, so you got your, your, your sister, sister-in-law? Sister, so, yeah. And, <laughs> and you're at home and I can, I can only imagine what this looks like in your house right now. Yeah, so, so I'm, 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 I'm coming up with potentially what we think could change the future of how medicines are discovered. And they're playing the drums and music and the dogs barking and I'm looking up <laughs> at, the, at the unfinished business, uh, unfinished ceiling of my basement saying, you know, this is absolutely crazy, but th that makes for good uh, founder stories. Um, but so, so how do we, how do you go from, yeah, let's, let's see if we can improve something to what's the next step. So one of the important learnings I had in, in, in that time back in 2014 was that I had just spent some time with Mayo Clinic. We just learned uh, lean startup techniques through a company that's in the network, uh, kind of the family tree of uh, Steve Blank. He's a, he's a kind of the, 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 the godfather of, one of the godfathers of lean startup, if you will. And it's a technique of, of um, how to think through creating a new startup company. How do you think about a business model um, for, that, for that startup? And so 
I said to my co-founder, Bob, I said, you know what? Let's apply your first provisional patent and let's build a business model around it. And let's iterate that business model, Canvas, using these lean startup techniques. And let's go out and talk to as many smart people, knowledgeable people, potential customers in the industry. So that's, that's the paradigm shift in the startup world is the old days was let's go build it in secret in the garage or in the basement and then let's hope that the world's going to want it. That was kind of the old school. New school is let's figure out what we want, what the customers want, what they're dying to pay for, and then let's go build it. But you got to go find out what that is. And, and you have to be comfortable asking, okay, what are your pain points? What are the problems you deal with every day? You know, get, get into the customer's heads. Once we started doing that, we started iterating that business model. So our first idea, first business model was not even close to what we do today. But after we iterated it like 10 times, the last few were very close to what we do today. So we didn't, we kind of self-funded it for the first nine, 12 months where we, we just did our investigations with, with potential customers and, and creating minimum viable products, if you will. Then once we knew we were close, that's when we did our first um, and got our first investments to go prove more of what we thought we could do. You talk about self-funding. Well, you need to have funds to self-fund. So you go, you're, you know, you, you have this work over here, you go through these cancer treatments, and now you decide to start this. What did that look like in, in the structure of your family? Did, did, you know, did your wife work? Did she, was she the, the self-funding of the funding? No. How did that work? <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is, this is, I didn't realize this was going to be a psychological. <laughs> I'll get in there. <laughs> you're, you're getting in there, Corey. So, all right, so you can imagine you're, you go through cancer treatment, it's expensive. I was lucky though that I had insurance, right? I was lucky to have um, that. So I didn't have to worry about some um, funding coming in. But then you kind of rewinding, you beat cancer and you go back into work, you're, you have a solid job and I'm, I'm, I was only in there for a few months when I realized, you know what, I'm not, this is not what I want to do anymore. And, and I, I remember coming up, my wife tells me this, like it was yesterday. She, remind, she remembers me walking up from the basement and saying something to the effect, yeah, I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm quitting. I'm quitting this, you know, six, six figure, you know, um, corporate um, uh, job to go do something that sounds like Star Trek. <laughs> and, uh, I can only imagine your, your <laughs> wife's face right there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you're gonna do what? Um, so, so then it's then it's just like okay. So, so I said, you know what? We do have savings, and 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 we're gonna and 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 I said, you know, don't worry, um, uh, Laura. You know, my our, our daughter, you and Laura, your lives. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna live like like normal okay we're gonna try and live like normal and 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 when you go through cancer um it's a stressful experience and uh, as you can imagine it is it tests a relationship uh tests relationships it is very stressful and we were able to get through that so we learned a lot 
about each other through the process. So once stemonics, the idea comes along, it was kind of an opportunity for us as a couple and as a family to kind of come together and support it. So that's that's kind of the backstory that I don't know if I've ever you know really shared. And then so then so then you're like, okay, we're gonna live like normal. Um, how long is this gonna take before we bring in some money? You know, like that's you know I was getting questions like that from family, and I said, well, we gotta do this minimum viable product stuff. We gotta figure out if there's an actual business here. Is there a business model here? And so we burned the savings down to basically nothing and and um, and at that point <clears throat> we were starting to see a clear vision of the business model and we were able to get our first investment of uh, 50,000 and it's like watching water boil it's like oh yeah the investment came oh wait but it's gotta like pass through like all these you know has to hit the bank and then the bank has to go through the payroll like it's just like the money could not come fast enough. Uh, it, I, it, it was crazy. Who was your, I don't know if I can ask this question, but you don't have to tell me who the first investor, but maybe mm -hmm. tell the story of why the first investor invested in you. Oh, well. Because you, you look from, because I've invested in stuff before. Yeah, and you, yeah. you know, you look at this and you're like, okay, we're going to do what? And what, so you can see the vision and I'm a visionary. I'm like, I, I love every idea. Okay, okay. You, you'll, you'll appreciate the story. And I, and I think Stephen would be totally fine with me sharing this because um, he deserves a lot of credit for, as he says, get the train moving. So Steven Snyder, he's in town here, Twin Cities. Uh, he just got selected as, or honored with um, uh, the Minnesota Cups, uh, one of the Minnesota Cups um, like mentors of the year, if you will. I don't know if I've got that right, but it's along those lines. His claim to fame was he was one of the first employees of a little company called Microsoft. Um, uh, Bill Gates had uh, interviewed him personally at Harvard and back in the day brought him on and then Stephen who's a brilliant mind became Microsoft's first general manager. In, 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 in meeting Stephen I had met him actually on a plane about uh, back in 2000 back then, maybe eight years prior on a plane. And we kind of uh, got to know each other uh, through that and over the years kind of reconnected. And, and actually when I was doing the Mayo Clinic thing and my team was presenting their project, the final project if you will, um, Stephen was in the audience and we reconnected there and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I've got this idea. <laughs> and I think people who have been through that kind of life-changing experience to create um, a multi-billion dollar company, that you start building kind of your um, taste, uh, your ability to see which, which ideas might be one of those. And so I'm very lucky that he believed in that idea early on, uh, believed in me uh, early on, and decided to get the train going. So how many employees does Demonics have now? We have almost 40, yeah. and it, it fluctuates because we bring on uh, interns, and, um, and so that fluctuates throughout the year. So you go from 
zero, well, you go from one yep. to two, yep. and now to 40, what are some of the biggest barriers that you have had kind of in your growth oh. to 40? The biggest barrier to growth at 40 is... Or, or even in your business model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, yeah. yeah. so it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's a couple things. One is, can you prove you can do it, okay? And, and it's this kind of symbiotic relationship because if you can prove you can do it, then you can raise a little bit more investments. Then the investments allows you to bring on and build the team because the team is what gets you to the milestones, the risk mitigation milestones, proving that you can do it, that customers are willing to buy, um, uh, that the product does what you designed it uh, to to do. So it's this kind it's this constant ratcheting up. Okay, we prove the milestones, we raise the money, the money allows us to bring on um, uh, to build a stronger team. The stronger team executes on the <laughs> milestones and on and on and on. So it kind of ratchets it up and up and up. You know. But you got to start somewhere, right? So you have to you have to you have to seed it with um, blood, sweat and tears, if you will, with some initial ideas. And, and then kind of, it's just this constant step by step, grind it out. I mean, it does not happen in a single day. I did, I want, I want to touch on, you know, the, you know, the stresses that you have had to deal with your, with kind of within your life, you know, kind of going through cancer uh, and then the stresses of, you know, starting a business, getting your savings count to zero <laughs> and then the, the, the battle kind of coming from there and this running the daily stresses of running a company in a startup mm. how do you deal with that with those stress with that stress I think just growing up being in a Asian household had its stresses that kind of built to me not to be a joke but um, it, you know it was it was challenging growing up a lot of high expectations right from from um, my my parents my family but and so that kind of built a lot of critical skills, how to manage my time, how to manage my energy. That's kind of the new, new, new way of thinking of time management is energy management. And sports, you know, when you do, when sports is one of your s skills that you learn growing up, then you, then you learn a lot of important things to manage stress. Because doing high-end athletics is the managing of stress on your body, the mental stress of competition. So eat, sleep, um, mindset, huge. And one of my passions in life is actually performance psychology. So that's mental training. And I started in junior high, actually. And so from that um, foundation, I've kind of, that's how I, See, that's my filter through doing things. So I applied performance psychology to athletics or music and um, uh, performing in a, in, in a kind of a professional setting. And, um, and that's, that's, that's the foundational um, or the foundation of how I manage, this, manage stress is through what I learned through, um, through athletics. Because you can't always be at your peak. There, there are off seasons. You need to know that the periodicity that is um, 
that you need to perform at your peak. You do need rest. So <clears throat> although startup is a 24-7 kind of thing, you do know you got to eat, sleep right. Um, it's going to be not routine. It might be early, you know, it might be late nights followed by an early morning. Um, it might be a semi-all-nighter to crank out something because you just have to do it. And, 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 and so that I learned a lot through sports. The other is when I was going through, through chemo was I was very lucky. My mom had seen in the newspaper a um, Chinese uh, meditation master. Uh, in, the Ch in, in Chinese um, culture, we call that uh, qi gong, which is um, energy kind of um, uh, kind of an energy management meditation practice. And it was through that where I learned meditation while I was going through chemo, and that completely changed uh, my life. So I was going on all these chemos. To manage the, the effects of chemos, I was also on steroids to manage the nausea. And so when you're on steroids, you're irritable. <laughs> and the meditation practice that I learned within a day or two, once I started practicing, completely changed my demeanor. And my family was like, my gosh, you are a completely different person. This is amazing. And ever since that day, I've, I now meditate every morning. Um, and that really helps me ground myself, kind of clear the slate, and allow me to be to come up with creative solutions and to manage the stresses that come every day because every day I'm able to kind of clean the slate, reprioritize, and go after it. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read the stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky, and you've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkly. Special thanks to Wade Beavers and our friends at the restaurant Agriculture.